Welcome to another episode of Consider This. Today, we are going to be talking about, uh, with four of my, three of my very good <laughs> friends. <laughs> yeah, there's four of us, and I guess I'm a friend to myself. Yes. Uh, but I got good. in the studio today, uh, Jake Moore, who uh, is the one that, that brought up uh, a conversation starter uh, in a sermon that he preached here at Sunnybrook a few weeks ago that I want to talk about. And so he's here to do that, works at CMF, doing recruiting uh, for that missionary organization, uh, encouraging, training, sending out uh, people to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Speaking of going out, we have Mackenzie Johnson, Mac Johnson, who is uh, on his way to Poland with his wife and little girl. Uh, they leave at the end of January uh, to head to Poland to do some church planting work with a ministry known as ProM. Um, and then we've got um, the always versatile Drew Moss, who is here, who's actually um, been working in our college ministry area for a long time with a ministry known as The Table, which comes from uh, Focus Ministries, which helps people that are coming to Oklahoma State University hear and uh, respond and grow in their faith, hear and respond to the gospel, grow in their faith. Um, Drew, you've spent time on the mission field, actually. Uh, over in uh, the Middle East, yeah, yeah, Northern Cyprus. I guess that's sort of Middle East. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I promise it is. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it may an not island. seem it it's may an not island in the Middle East. Yeah, it may, right. not, it may not seem like it, but yeah. 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 So and Drew was over there. So th that's kind of why um, the, this 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 group of people have gathered together. And uh, so Jake, I'm going to begin. Just go straight to it, which is you made a comment in your message describing you were preaching from Acts chapter eight on the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah, you used an illustration there, mm -hmm. um, which described a uh, fifth century. Did I get that right? Yeah, I always get mixed up on the time. It's 537 A.D. So sixth century. Sixth century. So sixth century, fifth, sixth century. Yeah. Um, uh, a church that the uh, Ethiopian Orthodox Church had built on mm. the top of a mountain. Yeah. That was accessible by rope. Yeah, only by and rope. Only by rope. And you yeah. use that as an example of um, uh, maybe a way in which the church mm -hmm. has kind of kept itself at a distance or made itself not accessible. And so you kind of use it as a metaphor, and then you looked at us and you said, hey, um, how have we done this with the gospel? How have we done this yeah. with the church? Yeah. So that's kind of one of the ideas that I want to talk about. And then from that same text, you use the phrase, uh, we need to chase chariots, which is what Philip does when yeah. he sees that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from Isaiah, and he mm -hmm. goes and says, do you, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no, and he explains it to him. So those two concepts, I just really liked them. I really yeah. enjoyed not only the message, but I enjoyed thinking through afterwards. You know, mm -hmm. we talk about, hey, let's continue the faith conversation. I kind of had it with my own head for a long time after yeah. that, asking questions about how do we make the church, the church fellowship or salvation inaccessible to people, mm -hmm. knowingly, um, hopefully never knowingly, yes. but unknowingly, unwittingly. Right. And then what does it mean to chase chariots? To I know that's a great metaphor, but since I, I didn't see a chariot this morning driving to work, <laughs> that, you know, what does that actually mean and what does right. it actually look like? So explain a little bit more about where you were coming from on those two ideas. So building yeah. a building church on a mountain. Church on the mountain. Yeah, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church uh, in Ethiopia, as I said in the sermon, has existed historically for somewhere between 2,000 to 1,500 years. And they have the opportunity, had the opportunity at some point to be a major force uh, for change throughout that whole region of East Africa. 
um, but at some point they decided that they wanted to make this an exclusive thing the, the church jesus this faith was ours and it became a very tribal thing mm-hmm. um, so it's fascinating to go to a place like ethiopia to know that this church existed for centuries and yet there are people groups throughout the entire country who never have even heard of Jesus. Yeah. Or at least now they're saying they've never heard of Jesus. So at some point, what w- they claim that this story found in Acts, Acts 8, is that that's the foundational story for their church. If you talk to a priest, they say, oh, yeah, our church began at this time. That eunuch came back, and the gospel then spread throughout our, our country. Well, if that's the case, why, why didn't it actually spread their country? Yeah. And yep. so for me, as I, as I thought about that, historical monument in their country that really was a, a, a real metaphor for this issue that they were pulling themselves away in some capacity sure. from the rest of the people around yeah. them. They even would, ins- the the main tribes that are Ethiopian Orthodox would even enslave the tribe that I worked with. And they would raid their villages. They would take these people, these men, these women, make them their slaves, never thinking that maybe we, the gospel were, was for these people, yeah. but you people can come and serve us in some capacity. <laughs> and so to me, it was, it's always was such a strange dynamic working there for sure. over 10 years to, to see that you had the gospel for so long. You, you claim that you're a Christ follower, and yeah. yet there was no element of what, of this faith that you claim to follow actually being lived out with the, the tribes around you. Um, so, I guess as I was preparing the sermon, thinking about that time, uh, that uh, that fact, seeing that on a regular basis, uh, that challenge really did come back to me. Um, and and coming back from uh, Ethiopia as missionaries about a year and a half ago, we we've seen some different areas. We we just kind of have a different way of viewing the church, the American church, and so we can see that there's some areas where you guys w- we're doing it right, sure, and other areas where we need to to change where we're kind of being like the Ethiopian Orthodox Church where yeah. we unknowingly I think are separating ourselves I don't think they intention they intentionally built a, a, a place up on top of a cliff because it's a beautiful it's amazing yeah but I think they didn't intentionally start raiding <laughs> raiding villages and and m- tribalizing their faith in such a way that that Jesus was no longer accessible for sure. other people. I don't think that was intentional. And, I, and it's interesting to think about. How do you go from, hey, do you know where our story began? Was our forefather, yeah, which never has a name in the text, right? Um, was so graciously given the gospel, and so we should go raid villages. Yeah. You know, you don't <laughs> yeah. you don't get from there to exactly. there. I mean, it, it, it comes with a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of problems. The other metaphor that we're going to use, kind of towards the end of this mm-hmm. podcast, is the idea of chasing chariots. Mm-hmm. So. Explain what you mean by that, because we'll, we'll probably use kind of the catchphrase to to uh, describe a, a yeah. deeper concept. So chasing chariots for me is, a, is about intentionality. Um, Philip, in, in listening to the Spirit's leading, went out to this place. The Spirit leads him to this road uh, uh, going out to Gaza, and he, he was expectant. There was something that was going to happen. He was, and so he intentionally goes out, yeah. and then when the chariot comes along that lonely road, he runs after it. Yeah. He chases after it. So he's intentional about the pursuit of this Ethiopian. Th- he didn't even know there was an Ethiopian in the, uh, you know, that probably was even a shock a bit to him. I would think that as he runs after the chariot and then he looks inside, 
oh, this isn't some Roman official, this isn't a Greek, this is actually a black African that I'm now going to try to figure out how to share the gospel with, because he's reading from Isaiah. Sure. Yeah, so I, I think that the intentionality that the, the story is just dripping with, uh, as I think what I was trying to get at with Chasing Chariots, that we need to be intentional about pursuing others in the same way uh, that Philip was. Okay, so, um, and Jake, jump back in on this. Yeah. But, so the question becomes, like, as you guys think about this statement that he made, that the church kind of almost, I, I hate to say naturally, because I think it's against what the Spirit's mm-hmm. work began. So it's not like it naturally does this, but as we forget the gospel, the church seems to almost, in that sense, um, unknowingly, uh, over time, begin to become more exclusive and in ways where we don't even realize the air we're breathing, we don't realize the water we're swimming in, Mm -hmm. um, and so we don't recognize that. So I'm curious, you guys have had some time to think about this, so tell me, do you recognize any ways in which the... um, the, whether you want to talk about the American church or you want to go after Sunnybrook specifically, both are both are fair game, I think. Mm. How, how are we doing that? I think if I look at it, I'm going to look at it historically. Mm. Um, so one of the, the trajectories that I see with, with most ideologies, like it doesn't even have to be Christianity, but most ideologies, um, but as it affects Christianity, which I believe Christianity is, is a from-the-bottom type of movement that it's meant to to permeate but not to um control like i don't see christianity as Mm. this this um political ideology that Mm -hmm. is meant to change everything like i don't think from the top from the top yeah right i don't see that jesus having 12 is a way to disrupt the entire order of rome yeah sure how do I, I think, pick twelve fishermen? I think the natural the natural <laughs> outworkings of the gospel does change culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if we ever become the main political force in any society, it will naturally move its way into organizing itself to maintain, protect, and yes. continue to gain power. Like right. I just think that's the way the world works because I think that's just like we were talking about this the other day, the ability for high levels of influence and power seek to have high levels of influence and power and Mm -hmm. the gospel is not of this world and i can't reconcile that the church in its truest context luther would say the invisible church Mm -hmm. like the you know those who are actually following i never see those who are actually following attempting to gain and grow in and suppress power you know what i mean so i think that one of the things that has become a problem is like when Christianity becomes a dominant part of your culture, like be very aware. Um, it might not necessarily be an awful thing, but it sure has historically led to a right. dangerous thing. A yeah. Dangerous Ethiopia, thing. they aligned with the kingdom. Yeah. And the kingdom was then taking over these other tribal groups. Yeah. And yeah. so like, I don't, I don't know the Ethiopian history, yeah. but if I said, okay, tell me what happens when Christianity becomes the main political power, hmm. you can mm-hmm. always say, well, it acts like all political powers. Mm-hmm. And I believe this is just my own conviction. And I'm, I mean, I can pull on texts and things like that to support it. I believe Christianity should not be the main political power. I just mm-hmm. don't think that that makes sense because it never has gone well. And I think when Jesus talks to Pilate and says, uh, yeah, I'm a king, but it's going to be in a way that you're not going to be able to understand. Mm, and yeah. when he talks about mm. the kingdom early mm. on, um, I believe it's Luke 21, he has this exchange when he kind of begins to get into some of the dynamics of what happens when 
Jerusalem falls? Because the apostles are going to perceive the fall of Jerusalem as a major religious and political defeat. And Jesus starts to in introduce themes and ideas that say, actually, the fall of Jerusalem is another sign that I am in control. And he talks about how the kingdom is going to operate and you're going to be looking for it. Where is it? Where can I find mm. it? Who's a part of it? And you won't be able to see it because it doesn't operate in the way that you want it to be seen. Yeah. And so I think when we, when we naturally move towards questions like, wouldn't it be better if we lived in a predominantly Christian society? Mm. Wouldn't it be better if we made laws that were directly reflecting how we feel about the world? Like, wouldn't it be better if we never oppressed people? Wouldn't it be better, right? But then what happens when another ideology comes up and, and confronts you politically? It, it always becomes a binary opposition of us versus them. Mm -hmm. And I don't see the church. And that's the danger. I don't see the church is operating as an us versus them dynamic, which I believe politics usually just leads to. Well, and I think what's fascinating, too, looking at the book of Acts, these apostles, these 12 guys that Jesus says, all right, you're going to be the guys going forward. They didn't even have the benefit of yeah. being political. I yeah. mean, they, yeah. <laughs> they were the oppressed people, yes. and yep. they're being subversive in sharing this gospel. So yes. sometimes I think we, we lose sight of that in mm -hmm. the 21st century American church, that these guys were on the bottom of the barrel, and they're, like you said, working their way up. Yeah. Uh, and well, and that's where I think we do, to put some hands and feet on this, you know, you said this, and, and so I'll, I'm, I'm going to kind of connect something. When I, when I first talked to you about mm -hmm. how your sermon had affected me and made me think, one of the statements that you quickly made was, I am afraid that, especially in America, mm -hmm. that this conversation is going to become politicized. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. Mac was describing kind of the history of the church yeah. seeking and gaining power mm -hmm. and how it almost by then its nature moves to mountaintops right. and makes it exclusive and then it begins to oppress others. Mm -hmm. But you were saying that that even even in our normal Twitter type conversations, mm -hmm. that whenever we begin to talk about the idea of um, being ex being exclusive, yeah, you said I just I don't want to get wrapped up in mm -hmm. political language, and right. you're not just talking red and blue state stuff. Yeah, you're talking about even how we discuss right. some of the sociological dimensions, the mm -hmm. economic dimensions, and you're actually saying. In agreement with Mackenzie, yeah. that it's there's something that is deeper yeah. mm -hmm. that we need to get back to, yeah. at the, at more of at a grassroots mm -hmm. level. So I think that's the challenge. I think that's the challenge that we're faced when, w if the Bible is like a mirror that we're looking into or reflecting on, yeah, it, it's saying one thing, and if we start politicizing yep. what it's saying, then suddenly we get in danger for sure. That's interesting. I mean, I I think that the early church. They're tackling issues with widows, orphans, and, and prisoners. That was yeah. something I yeah. said. Yeah. And if we start playing out, how does that look for the 21st uh, century um, American church or just America in general, that can get political very quickly, those yeah. three areas. Oh, because, right you know, uh, honestly, and that's – it's without, without jumping to any final conclusion, mm -hmm. those are the groups right now that there's a lot of conversation, not just in the church, mm -hmm. but the fact – of and the dealing with marginalization and how do we deal with marginalization, mm -hmm. I've been concerned that the church then kind of adopts political or economic or mm -hmm. social structures yeah. as opposed to offering the gospel right. and offering a new community that stands countercultural mm -hmm. to the way that the world is. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, I, and I think we've been kind of lulled into that. Yeah. Drew, mm -hmm. kind of 
any other thoughts kind of bring it down? You know, Mackenzie said, I want to look at this historically. Yeah. What, what would you say? How, how should we look at this idea of, of being inaccessible as the, uh, as the church? Well, um, I, mean, I do have a, a couple thoughts. I kind of, if you don't mind, I'd kind of like to turn to Jake and hear some of his. I, part of me even wonders as we talk about, um, you know, he's come back from overseas and, and, and so able to see things that maybe is, is the water we're swimming sure. in. Part of me goes, man, I, I wonder if I'm swimming in this, this water and don't even know. Yeah, I was overseas 12 years ago, yeah. you know. <laughs> sure. um, and so, like, if, if you don't mind me asking, like, what, what are examples of that? that you see in, in sure. the church today, Jake, in America, well, I know. and I'll interact with that. Yeah, no, what, one thing that we're definitely trying as a church to continue to tackle is this idea of th- this socioeconomic issues in our community, and through Single Mom Serve earlier in the fall, um, providing a, an opportunity to work with some women and children in the community that desperately need help on a regular basis, I think is an area where the gospel is desperately needed and where we as a different community can start acting but when you start talking about people of other economic backgrounds when you start talking about after-school kids programs um, meeting health care needs things like that where you a single mom who's working all the time has a hard time getting to the doctor if their kid is sick and so maybe the church could explore some ways where we provide some medical services mm-hmm. to them. I, yeah, sure, there's urgent care and other things, but they probably can't even afford some of those mm-hmm. those aspects. And it plays out. I was even listening to the, the radio this morning. Uh, there are some laws that are being changed in our in our own state that for people who are under the poverty line um, are now going to be challenged with ha- having Medicare, having Medicaid available to them, and that means they're going to start going to the ER just to get basic uh, curative care for mm-hmm. their families. And starting to talk just about what, how does the church respond in a situation like that can get very political very quickly. And so that's mm-hmm. where I, I'm worried about it. But I think that there are opportunities for us to speak into that, mm-hmm. that if someone's making less than $24,000 a year to live on, I mean, they were talking about people who would make like $9,000 a year yeah. getting disability help and other things. And we're dependent as a country uh, or as a community here. Those those folks are dependent on the government to help them out, but I think the church can also play yeah. a, a part in that. So after school programs for kids whose moms are working until six or seven, instead of these kids walking home, riding the bus home, and then just being left in a very vulnerable mm-hmm. state yeah. uh, for a number of hours, I think the church can be available to them there. I think we have facilities uh, that lend themselves to that. Um, and then even providing services for folks uh that are kind of after hours types uh, of mm. opportunities for you know someone like yeah. a single mom who's got two or three kids that yeah. needs to needs to see a doctor but can't afford to go to urgent care and mm. things like that that would be one yeah. simple way another area um homeless vets I, I don't know if you guys have heard the numbers but the number of oh veterans yeah. that are dealing oh yeah. with ptsd and then from there not being able to hold down a job losing their homes and then out on the streets so that's you know another side of the of the of the spectrum. That if we're going to talk about the military, the fact that there are veterans that have served our country for sometimes decades, and then now they're homeless due to the to, to you know these issues that they've they've received from the uh, from fighting for our country, and then now out on the streets. I think the church could even be a place where 
as a different community, we can be welcoming them in, helping them out, uh, helping them work through some of the issues that they've been struggling with from a counseling standpoint, as well as employment and other things. So mm-hmm. those are some some basic yeah. areas. There's others that we could talk about. Yeah. What would well, you so what would you like, say to that? Well, just to me, it sounds like we're not talking there about barriers that the church has created, mm-hmm. as in the church going, let's let's make vets sure. homeless or uh-huh. let's let's make it where <laughs> single women can't hear the gospel or anything right. like that. Single right. moms can't hear the gospel. Um, it sounds like you may be ta- talking more about um, trying to overcome natural barriers. I don't know if natural sure, might not be sure. the word, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. natural in a fallen world barriers. Yes, right. You know what I mean? Those kinds and of I agree. things. I agree. Yeah. That there's that limit there, too. I think so sometimes someone from the outside might be like, I'm not welcome in that church because of my background. Now, it, so there's could be the, the physical aspect to it, but yeah. I think— in America right now, the churches, uh, the evangelical church is seen in one way, and I think folks who aren't a part of maybe a political party mm-hmm. or, or something else yeah. might feel like all of those layers are there. Yeah, yeah. Is some of what we see, but I, I agree. Yeah. That, uh, there's the, there's the physical layer to it too. Yeah, yeah. So you're talking, yeah. I, I th- and I think there is something to that, even that that, mm-hmm. um, that unintentionally, not not meant to that that. Uh, socioeconomic lines it seems like it seems like sometimes churches fall within mm-hmm. certain socio socioeconomic lines and it's hard for that to be very diverse right. um, a lot of times it's hard right. for, I think you're probably there's, there's probably truth to that that yeah. by some of the ways we talk about sometimes here how how easy it is how often we do um, like activities based ministry mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which which in and of itself just precludes a certain amount of people when when yeah. every weekend activity costs 50 bucks here to go to camp is 100 bucks yeah. here or to yeah. do this here yeah. you know what i mean yeah. and i, I right. also know sunnybrook is is quick to to say things like please don't let money be the reason you don't go right. you hear that phrase a lot and sunnybrook is loves to would love to help people who can't do that mm-hmm. go but but there's just something that's just a natural when when a lot of our stuff requires money to go on or to do these things mm-hmm. it just naturally kind of keeps people from from coming so this yeah. is my this is my question Okay, yeah. so you're in a life group. You're in a life group. You're in a life group. Mm-hmm. Um, I I dare say that I think I know where all three of your life groups meet. Yeah, and the people that meet in them. So if I say to you, okay, just from the outside, yeah, like I've got a friend and he wouldn't feel comfortable in your group. So what? Let me. Like, I'll are you? Are you? No, no, don't change it yet. Are you? Because <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna want to talk about. I think we're missing something. No, but I, I know. Yeah. But we'll, we'll c- continue to miss it. Okay. So yeah. here's my question: Are you, by what you're doing, mm-hmm. creating a mountaintop church experience that is only access- accessible via rope? There are times when Aaron and I feel like our life groups that we've been in have been inaccessible to other people. And yes. do you continue to do that? Yeah, we have continued to do that. But okay. we continue to come, we continue to wrestle with, like, yeah, may, no, no, maybe no. we uh, need to be, I, I don't know if I can say things on mics or not, that, <laughs> uh, on recording. Or no, not, I want, I want, I, I mean, honestly, we're trying we, to have a real conversation that so we, that we don't get I feel seduced. like we need to have a Sunnybrook uh, trailer park uh, life group. I think that it, I, as much as my life group that I'm in right now is very welcoming and would be happy to have anybody come in there, I yeah. think we need to go and have a life group 
meet in a, a trailer park. And anybody and against that? <laughs> I don't think so, any of us are against so it. We just, none what, of us do it. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I don't do it. That's and I, a, honestly, that's I think the that's, the part, that's, where that's the part I want to hit. Right. I want to really hit the, you know, so this is, this is I think, I, I like wrestling with this. Yes. Because I've been with people. I mean, I remember uh, Nick Parsons, who was one of our missionaries that went to, uh, to Japan. Mm-hmm. Drew and I were recently there. Um, there was a young lady that came and, and was baptized and was from kind of a, from a single mom's dynamic. Mm-hmm. And Nick said in a staff meeting, what is your plan to disciple her? Mm-hmm. And I said somewhat off the cuff, but from a tremendous amount of experience, um, we have a system of discipleship and of growth that would demand things like her most likely either being married Mm-hmm. or being financially capable of keeping up with the rest of us in terms yeah. of when our life groups meet and how our life groups meet and what she's going to have to do with her kid care and what she's going to have to do. So most likely she's going to try to hang on here mm-hmm. for a number of months yeah. and then kind of let go of the rope. Yeah. She didn't have the she time or the, she the money the for child care or the, those yeah. things to be able or to Or even the emotional, relational bandwidth right. to keep up with us. Yeah. yeah. And and I, I just said it off. I don't know if you remember that, Drew, yeah. but I just kind of said it. And I'm saying it, and I'm feeling sick yeah. as I am describing an unintentional, but we're aware. That My, my point is, is yeah. that we keep going, yeah, I don't know if I'm aware of the water. You're going, <laughs> yeah. no, you're totally aware. Yeah. Like when you're group meets in yeah. a life group house where there's a pond beside it mm-hmm. yeah you know Pers- what, a personally owned pond. you know what you're yeah you <laughs> yeah. know what you're doing yes right yeah okay and I've, I've actually i've actually lived in a house that had a pond in the backyard so right. i get that and i'm aware of those things mm-hmm. and so I, I don't even know if i want to say hey that's the exact same as the ethiopian church church raiding and building right. ropes no but there are some of those things that create a degree of mm-hmm. inaccessibleness mm-hmm. that i think we want to be aware of and to even to say to people you know so we need to be we need to be making sure yeah. that in very real and intentional ways i i, I find it fascinating that I myself and many others know about these things, mm-hmm. and then I go, okay, so are we doing anything about it? And we all just kind of look <laughs> at each other, and we're literally going, I, I, I really will if you will. Will yeah. you? And yeah. you're like, I will if you will. <laughs> One, two, three, jump. One, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, hold my hand. Ah! You know, so that's kind of what we're waiting for. Right. And I, I really think that's a huge part right. of, of, of what we're dealing with that is not necessarily Acts 8 per se. Mm-hmm. But it is definitely something that makes us inaccessible to people. Mac, you wanted to kind of make sure that we're hitting something. Yeah, I think we're we are dealing with two things, pretending it's one thing, and it's just not true. <laughs> um, so bear with me just for a second. So we're talking about two things. You're talking about participating in certain activities, which I would say it's not necessarily what the gospel is. It's mm-hmm. not just participating in activities. Mm-hmm. The gospel is the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, which is the propitiation for our sins, right? Like, that's the gospel. There is nothing, I would argue, at Sunnybrook Christian Church where we would say that person does not need the gospel, except I think, honestly, the people that we don't preach the gospel to are the people who have physical needs. Like, I really think when we sit down and we think about who, we don't sit down and think who doesn't deserve the gospel. But we subconsciously sit down and think, man, who can I share the gospel with? You want to share the gospel with people who are in your same social economical class or whatever. It is morally reprehensible if what 
Chow has recently shown us. It is morally reprehensible to try to preach to someone in our society, hmm. to try to tell someone the gospel, hmm. yeah. because the question is, who are you to tell them what they need? Sure. Mm-hmm. And we do not, as a church, do a good job, I believe, of believing that people who have physical needs also need the gospel. Yeah. I don't think we preach to them. I think we will do what you're saying. We, yeah. we come up with these veteran programs and we do these different things. But we, th- we simultaneously completely reject that they need the gospel through only perceiving that their needs are X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And now what you're also saying is they also need to be able to feel welcome in our churches and to do these kinds of things. And I'm saying, yes, absolutely they should. But because they don't feel comfortable necessarily in Sunnybrook Christian Church does not mean that we have shunned them from the gospel. Like, I think that that's not the same thing because— no, I we might perceive yeah. yep. that coming to an event or coming to a service is us neglecting sharing the gospel. But mm-hmm. I think it's actually the fact that you're not being led by the Spirit or, you're, you know, I'm not listening to the Spirit mm-hmm. who says, hey, go mm-hmm. talk to that person. Like, that is shunning the gospel. And I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that we're guilty <laughs> more often than not of not listening to the leading of the Spirit. And if we're sitting on a plane next to somebody, I'm— probably one of the first people I'm going to put my headphones in. I'm not going to be the one that's going to share the gospel or start strike up a conversation that will most likely lead to the gospel. Or if it gets to that point yeah. where I'm like, oh, wow, this person has a hole in their life that can only be filled by Jesus. Mm-hmm. We're going to have use a kitsch term, It, but is true. I sometimes will stop right there. It's yeah. like come right up to the precipice but not share. And we that's have the answer. These, we have these yeah. underlying rules of, well, who needs the gospel? And consciously, we all say everyone, mm-hmm. but we don't live that way. Like the rich, what gospel are you going to sell them? Like mm-hmm. the popular, the, the powerful, what are you going to sell them? I'm going to tell them the gospel. And the poor and the needy, what are you going to tell them? Well, let me just fix their needs first. Mm-hmm. I totally agree that if you ignore their physical needs, you're not preaching the gospel. Yeah. But we, we, we are in a time in which we just look at physical needs, and then we just kind of whisper in their ear. And we don't preach the sure. gospel. And, I, you know, what's interesting is, is that, you know, this will actually fit really well into our chasing chariots idea. Because I, I, I guess I noticed a little bit of what you were describing when we said, okay, Jake, so the church has made itself inaccessible. Mm-hmm. How, Drew says, Jake, how do we make it accessible? And not one of those examples had kind of at its core the, right. the let's explain Isaiah 53. Sure. Right? right? They sure. were, let's look at these people, recognize their needs, and how do we take care of their needs? Right. Which I think then you, and I think rightly, rightly. assumed that, mm-hmm. and while we're doing that, we're, yeah, you're right, and we're, that would be my next iteration sure, in the yeah. thought process. Some of that is coming from a missional background, you know. Yeah. In, in our area, we worked in a, ver- a very remote setting. We had a clinic that was available for anyone to come and get care for, but one facet of our ministry was following up with those patients at their home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was being intentional about building a clinic, providing healthcare in an area that where healthcare was inaccessible, but then using that as a, as an mm-hmm. opportunity then to follow up with them and hopefully have that Isaiah 53 moment. And Mm -hmm. I would say the same for the church here in the United States is if we can have these types of areas where we're reaching people of different socioeconomic backgrounds that if if we're reaching them in Mm -hmm. some capacity, that that would lead to these faith conversations where we can share the gospel with Christ. uh, So so let me ask you a question. Do you read Acts 8 and go, yeah, like what we actually see in Acts 8 is 
the is Philip being led by the Spirit to meet the needs of the Ethiopian and to help him uh, develop a relationship with him mm-hmm. and kind of work alongside of him right. for a while and then so because we don't get that in the back in the book of Acts no we don't right that's our that's that what, is, yeah there's an immediacy that's always there an and urgency I, and I would even right. tell you that and I'd love to hear your thought about this or even your thought or your thought in Poland right so you guys all have and, and I don't even just mean your 12 years ago experience but even on the campus we seem to have this obsession I'm, uh, let me throw this up you made me think about this Mac is one of our things that keeps the gospel not accessible to people is the fact that we are really reluctant. I won't say afraid, but we've created even a paradigm where, number one, you make sure that you know we love them for them and that we're not trying to sell them anything. Make sure they know that. Number two, make sure their basic needs are cared for. Okay, Make sure that they know that we love them. Not in Christ, but for, forget Jesus right now. We just need them to know that we love them for them, yeah. okay? And then as a relationship develops, as we then move forward, then at the right time, and tell me if I'm off on this, at the right time and in the right context without offending them, without alienating them, these are the words I've used, sure. then we kind of very naturally, as, as we've already invited them into our home, we've already taken care of the fact that they have a place, that their needs are taken care of, then over time we begin to share with them the gospel. And my question is, that is, the, that is a Western American, that's not how they do it. When I, go to, when I talk to Austin Ganyo about that in, in, uh, in Ghana, he thinks that's crazy. It's a post-Christian idea. What you yeah. do is you go, and if you find somebody, you tell them the gospel. And I'm not even saying that has to be the way that it always works. Like every culture is allowed to decide it. But that is how the West, that's how even Western missionaries are now trained. Yes. Make sure that step one, you get in, you you, you go to the university, you take lots of biology classes, you get to know biology teachers, you get to know biology students, you learn biology. And then four years later, right? And and again, I don't even think they mean um, that our message doesn't matter. And, and then over time, you begin to share. It is, is, is that whole system that we've developed in the West keeping the gospel not accessible to our people? What do you, what do you say to that, Drew? Um, I just think for myself like that it's not the system but my heart, and the system is a good defense mechanism yep. about uh, that to keep me from having to share the gospel hmm. a lot of times. Um, I think that, like you said, I think within the culture there is something to that system in which um, hmm. we can't, I like that. we don't have the foundation like in, in the ancient Near Eastern culture to just kind of stand up. Uh, everyone there kind of assumes at least that there is a God, so you hmm. can stand up and start tell, saying, let me tell you about God. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Whereas you can't, spirituality. You, you can't yeah. even, you can't necessarily do that. So I don't know that the system is necessarily the problem. I, I just know how often in my own life, I use the system to put off actually getting to the gospel <laughs> and just yes. keep saying, I just got to build that relationship yeah. a little yeah. bit more. I just got to develop a little bit more trust. I got to. Yeah, so really you're not wanting to blame anybody, but again, in typical Drew fashion, <laughs> I got no one to blame but me. Is I that really, what you're saying? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's I what, like but, I, but I think overall, I do think like our biggest barriers to this stuff, I think there are some institutional 
or like corporate things sure. like yeah. like trying to remove some of the socioeconomic boundaries by reaching out and making it known that this is a place where you can come if you're a sure. low income mm-hmm. single mom yeah, that sure. kind of, I think there are those things but I really do think probably our our biggest <laughs> issue is just I know in my own life is just a reluctance a reluctance to share the gospel period right um, with people yeah. and that's why I mentioned the airplane thing yeah like, yeah. yeah dude I no, know I should yes. I could do this on a regular I've been flying so much this fall I could do this all the time but yes and it's I not don't. sure and it's not a for me it's not a <laughs> class thing or a race thing or right. a I'm reluctant to share the gospel with um, white middle class suburban people with kids like myself <laughs> you know what I mean uh, and so and so of course that also means that I'm reluctant to share the gospel with lower income Hispanic or upper income black or yeah. it, you mean all those <laughs> right. like I'm it's of course because can't even talk anybody. to me uh, yeah. if, if they're human I have a hard time yes, sharing yes yeah. and I that know. is and I, I really do think in my own life that's that's the biggest barrier is is just my own personal lack of lack of passion for for the for the glory of God and for mm-hmm. lost people and and those kinds of things that really is and I think when you multiply that out over 1200 different individuals in a given church it looks like an institutional sure. barrier yes. but it's yeah, like a it's a idea. it's yeah, a it's that. a bunch of individual people who just aren't aren't doing aren't sharing the gospel yeah, they aren't know? doing ministry yeah yeah, yeah. it yeah. looks institutionalized like you said but yeah. it's all personal decisions yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, so. I like that no but yeah. i honestly that's the part where i love to say because this this sermon really hit me jake because man i don't want to leave a legacy you know i'm getting right. i'm in my twilight years now oh yeah you're and so close to I'm so close to, <laughs> but i don't yeah, want i don't want that to be our legacy like i know your heart i i see drew's passion for reaching oklahoma state university and I know his heart to reach the lost. I know how desperate. I know you. We've been in Ethiopia together, brother. Yeah. And I don't doubt at all. I love being having a conversation with Aaron, yeah. your wife. Yeah. And she is in tears in my mm-hmm. office for these people who need to hear the gospel. I know of, about how much Mackenzie and Olivia absolutely want to go to Poland to help. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, okay, so then what does that look like? And I, I like the fact that instead of using some of these institutionalized ideas as a, a, a means of avoiding the mm-hmm. reality. Mm-hmm. So, I, so thank you, Drew, for mm-hmm. saying, because that, that that's me too. Yeah. yeah, That's me too. I, I get yeah. in that situation, and it doesn't matter who the person is across the table. Okay, here it goes. There was a guy named Jesus, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's it's I, th- I thought that if I developed a relationship, it would be easier. I'll tell you, my firsthand experience is that since sometimes make it harder yeah. because there's a lot more at stake so when it's rejected. Baggage. Yeah. So I, I love that. Sometimes you just got to do it. So let's let's wrap this up with any quick, genuinely helpful ideas that we can give mm-hmm. to our listening audience to say, so how do we chase chariots? So the yeah. idea is that this, you know, Drew, you pointed this out. Like, we live in a culture where nobody's sitting in their car. I don't care what the car is, broken down car, <laughs> Lexus, um, reading Isaiah 53, right. not understanding. Like, I know what to do in that situation. Mm-hmm. But what do we do? And you guys can put it in your Polish o- Oklahoma State or now, you know, your, your context, mm-hmm. Jake. W- what does it actually look like for our people to chase a chariot? Anybody have something? This well, is what it I looks w- like. I had this thought, this this analogy. I just didn't have time to talk about it in uh, in the sermon. But if during Ramadan, if you were to go to a Muslim's house during mm-hmm. Ramadan, they're going to tell you why they're fasting, or they're going to tell you why they're feasting. Mm-hmm. They have this opportunity to share 
very blatantly what they're doing and why they're doing it. And that's why I mentioned the Advent season as this open door for us, this this parallel to the Isaiah 53 type moment that Advent and Christmas is our open door and we don't use it It, it, because we don't want Christmas to be awkward (laughs) with somebody, whether that, you know, to to say literally this is the reason we celebrate Christmas is as cheesy as that the reason for the season type talk. Sure. Genuinely, this is our opportunity to share with people the gospel and we don't take that opportunity so that's one one thought that i have very practically let's maybe get a little comfortable with the awkwardness of Mm -hmm. it and be intentional about sharing with family members or someone uh, in in our community in our neighborhood this whole reason why we're celebrating advent and doing these things Mm -hmm. that would be one so for me, going into Poland, I've thought about this a lot because it is a post-Christian context. Mm-hmm. America's getting there. I would say Europe, I mean, maybe Europe is like 15, 20 years ahead. Yeah. Canada is about yeah. 10. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then America is, you know, obviously 20 years behind, behind yeah. of what's happening over there. Um, my feeling is, like, do what you see in Acts 8. I think the way to not have barriers is to create people through discipleship, not through church attendance, but through discipleship, mm-hmm. who can listen and obey the Spirit. If you listen and obey the Spirit, you never become politicized. If you listen and you obey the Spirit, you never are. You never even have to worry if what you're doing is right. It's like if you live by the Spirit and you know His voice and you can communicate with Him and He leads you to do things, if you do that, you literally cannot do anything wrong if you're le- being led. And so I think the way to do it for us in Poland is going to be like discipleship and one-on-one is our means of evangelism, not a church service. And I think what has happened here is our church service has taken the flag of dealing with evangelism, and therefore we really do have to deal with institutional issues because it's okay. Mm. Well, if, if our church service is our main mode of evangelism, we have to make sure that our church service can and then access all these people. And I believe actually what I think it should be is as long as Drew's heart is for the lost and he is being led by the spirit i trust that the holy spirit will get him to communicate to the people he needs to communicate to yeah and i trust the spirit with people and i trust people with the spirit and i believe that's the way to do it don't you love when you're new in ministry and you have it and i, I don't mean i mean this positively i really do like as i'm hearing him speak i don't disagree with anything he just said and I want to go, oh Mac, <laughs> right? And I and truly, and I and I don't, I I do not mean that in like a you'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. I'm like I used to think that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I used to, I used to, I mean, your mom and I, Mac. I mean, Mac is my son. For those of you that don't know, like that's how your mom and I helped lead Kevin and Marcy to the Lord. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not going. Oh, you foolish! I'm not saying that. I'm going, man. It is that simple. It's kind of like you going, man. I just, it's my, my it's my fault. Mm-hmm. Okay, dang it, Drew. That's so simple and it's yeah. so real. And I think you're right. I mean, it's you, totally you're the one. True. It's totally true that if you listen to the Holy Spirit and obey Him, you'll be sharing the gospel. <laughs> the question is like, how do we become that kind of people? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who listens and obeys to the Holy Spirit? And that's, yeah, that's the, the simple but difficult step to take you know that's so hard what i love about you drew is that you have you've you've used that kind of that concept so often is that you've you've reminded us hey this is what our worship service is about here on sunday morning you've reminded us hey like this is this is what we need to be about we need to be about you know glorifying god and then being prepared to go out and is that my accurate yeah i think so yeah, yeah. so that's where i think that is a is a, is a great reminder 
in terms of like what we need to be doing here. Anything you want to add, Drew? Um, I would just, uh, I think I would just say, because I'm, I'm on the front end of it and, and would probably be hypocritical to try and give too much stuff, but I'm, I've been convicted this year over how little time I spend praying for lost people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that probably connects into Max, listen to the Holy Spirit and obey him. That, and so that's been, that's, that's kind of where I'm at in this journey is at the front end of just making it a daily practice. I've got three specific people in mind that um, I'm trying to daily bring before God and ask for, uh, for him to remove barriers that keep me from being able to share the gospel, whether that be my own fear or pride, or whether that be um, things in their own hearts, but for God to work in their hearts and then to give me the opportunity. And when the opportunity comes to give me courage and wisdom uh, to share the gospel with them. And so um, I think that same thing, that prayer thing, could could also probably be another mechanism um, to keep myself from ever sharing the gospel if I just pray all the time. Yeah. But I mean, I am okay. Let me let me go back to Acts real quick. It is fascinating <laughs> in Acts six yes. when when there are poor people that need to be taken care of, and the uh, and the apostles go, "We've got to make sure that happens." Um, but man. Uh, there is we, we've got to make sure a significant portion of our day is spent on praying that was a praying and, <laughs> yes, no, and exactly. teaching the word yeah. and he's like man there is so much time peter goes there i have to spend so much time in order for the church to work i have to spend so much time praying that i, that I don't have time widows. to help with you know what i mean like and we would go that that sounds so weak or yeah or oh, un, or overly religious or, yeah, yeah yeah but he goes no this is what will make sure that more widows are taken care of mm-hmm. and more come into the church and all those things is the amount of effort I spend praying for the Holy Spirit to empower and lead our church towards the mission of God. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yes, and so we'll set people there to make sure that the widows are taken care of, but I'm going to be praying my heart (laughs) out um, (laughs) for the Spirit to lead us to chariots. And mm-hmm. to and to and sure. to lead us to Samaritans and those kinds of things, Absolutely. and so, so that's something I'm 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 trying to do more of in my own life. So that's good. Yeah, well, I hope good. I I hope this has been helpful for you because, man, Jake, I really loved your message. I, our people loved hearing from you, and I just not only I are you, but not only are you a good communicator. What I think really translated so well to our people is you and Aaron and your heart for the Lord and your heart for um, just being faithful to Him. And I love watching that happen here. I think yeah. it's inspirational as I, I want, I want my sons to be around and their wives to be around people like you and Aaron, because it really helps them see it. I remember when oh, you and Aaron you. were, were moving back and you were describing just this real important need for there to be, uh, in the same way that we did blah, blah, blah in Ethiopia. That's how we need to live here in Stillwater. Yeah. That's what we all believe. And it really does mean those things. Yeah. So if this has convicted you about, man, I need to start knowing how to share the gospel, or I need to make sure that I'm taking care of these things in my own faith, praying, whatever, so that I am chasing chariots, so that I am making my life um, uh, kind of a, as, a, as a conduit for the Spirit's work. Man, I, I know the four of us would love to talk with you. Um, I know anybody on staff would love to talk with you, and we'd even love to hear how you know or believe we can be doing this better because we want to be accessible, and, um, man, we want to chase chariots. So I hope this has been a blessing to you guys. I've just kind of sat here just kind of feeling half sick to my stomach on my own failure to do things, but I'm not going to do nothing. I'm going to pray about it, and then I'm going to do something about it. So we'll see how that leads. Love you guys.